Last week, we looked at the deadly effects of sin and how God gave the people a way to save themselves from sin, and that was a mirror. So last week was the fiery serpents and the bronze serpent that was put up on the staff that they could look at. And we talked about how that mirrors Christ and how Christ is our Savior, and we need to look for Him and have faith and trust in Him to save us from our sin. Today we're going to be talking about God's blessings. And so like I said, I'm giving everybody notes. We'll be back in numbers again. But as we start off, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't know if any of you have ever received anything, or like been given a, a coupon or a certificate for something, or maybe someone got you a really nice gift like a tie that you have, and it's yours to use, but you've never used it. I have things I know I see something I think I really need that and I'll buy that tool and it'll sit in my toolbox in its original packaging and it's and it just sits there and it never gets used. Regifts. Um, they can be regifts. Um, once upon a time, I where I worked, I was required to wear a tie, so I wore I've worn all my ties. I don't have any ties I haven't worn. I even have some really ugly ties. There's another story that's interesting that they had um, in the leader guide. And back in the 1800s, the Canadian Pacific Railroad was wanting to complete the rail line all the way across the country of Canada. And so to do that, they had to negotiate with a lot of um, the indigenous people in Canada. And the Blackfoot tribe really didn't want to cooperate. And they actually, there were some hostilities and things that happened. But there was a Blackfoot chief named Crowfoot who was a leader of the Blackfoot Confederation, and he actually negotiated with the Canadian Pacific Railroad and negotiated a deal where they received payment for land in kind. And um, the railroad was really grateful that he was able to do that. And so they awarded Chief Crowfoot a lifetime railroad pass. And so he had that pass, and he wore it on a chain around his neck but he never, ever used it, okay? And so that's just one of those things to think about when we talk about God. And God has many promises, and he's told us many things that we can do. But God wants us to avail ourselves of of those promises. He wants us to use those promises. He doesn't want us to take it and and hang it around our neck like something that we have that's proud that we don't ever use. And you, you may have been in someone's house that has a Bible, that someone gave them that Bible, but it sits on the bookshelf. And it's never taken down, and it's never opened, and it's never used. But it's, you know, God's given us those things. And so that's the lesson we're going to talk about today, is about God's blessings for his people, and how, um, how we should use those things. So um, what we'll be looking for today in this, the Christ connection, and we're going to be talking about um, a diviner whose name was Balaam, is that Balaam could not curse God's people, but blessed them instead and proclaimed God's faithfulness. Balaam's blessings ultimately were realized centuries later in Jesus, and Jesus is the conquering king who fulfilled God's covenant promises and delivered his people from sin. So those are the things that we're going to be looking for today. So to give you a little background about where we're at, um, this is still, the people are in the wilderness, but they're almost finished with that time, and they're on the east side of the Jordan, and they're wanting to um, go across. And so they talked to um, the Amorites, and it was King Sihon, and they asked to be able to pass. And the answer they got back was King Sihon sent an army. 
but God gave the Israelites victory, and they, they defeated the Amorites. And so then they went um, toward the land of Bashan with King Og, and the same thing happened where the, the Bashanites came out, but God helped the Israelites prevail over them. And so then they went out to the plain of Moab, and King Balak was the king of the Moabites at that time. And he saw what happened to the other two peoples, the Amorites and uh, the people from Bashan, that you know the Israelites had defeated them in battle. So Balak was very nervous and worried about the Israelites because they're headed his way. You know, they're, they're headed to Moab where he's the king. And so he comes up with this really good idea. There was a, a diviner or someone who supposedly had the power to bless and curse different people. So if this diviner gave you a blessing, that blessing was supposed to come true. If he cursed you, that curse was supposed to come true. So Balak, the king of the Moabites, sends you know, some emissaries with money and gifts to this uh, diviner named Balaam. And he's trying to convince Balaam to come and curse the Israelites so that he can defeat them in battle. Well, Balaam has a dream, and in that, God tells Balaam, no, these are my people, and you shouldn't curse them. You can only bless them. And so Balaam's kind of in this quandary, and he doesn't want to go, so he sends the emissaries back. So then um, King Balak sends even more people, and he finally convinces Balaam to go. And this is where, and, and this is interesting. You'll have to read. We're not going to get to cover all of this, but just the background. This is, has anybody here heard of Balaam's donkey? And so that's an interesting part of the story. We don't really get to get into much of that. But on the way um, to, for Balaam to go seeing King Balak, um, God sends the angel, of, the angel of the Lord to basically to kill Balaam. And he's riding a donkey, and this little donkey sees the angel of the Lord and goes off the road. And so Balaam whacks the donkey. He's like, get back on the road, and she won't. And, and, and then she starts going through the field. Well, the angel of the Lord shows up, and then she turns again, and he whacks the donkey again. It happens three times. And then God opens the eyes of Balaam, and he sees the angel of the Lord. And then God allows the donkey to speak. And the donkey says, yeah, I was trying to save you. Right? So anyway, that's in, in Numbers 22, if you want to read more about that. But that gets us to um, where we're going to start. And so when a diviner you know, makes a proclamation or gives, you know, a blessing or a curse, they call it an oracle. So the first oracle, you know, in, in this, Balaam gets a very good understanding that God does not want Balaam to curse the Israelites, right? Because what has God promised Israel? He's going to give them land. He's made them all these promises that they'll prosper. He's going to give them um, the promised land. God's doing all these things. So Balaam understands God doesn't want me to curse these people, and it won't work anyway because if God is going to bless them, they will be blessed. And so the first oracle that Balaam gives, essentially, so King Balak is expecting him to curse him, and, and essentially Balaam does not. He blesses the people. And so King Balak's really not very happy. And that's where we get to um, our first point here, that God blesses his people by delivering them. And so this is actually the second oracle or the second blessing that ends up coming from Balaam for the people. So we're in Numbers chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 19 through 23. So Numbers 23, starting in verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. 
When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no omen against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. At the proper time it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. And so this blessing again is just simply a reminder for us that you know when God makes a promise to his people, he's faithful to keep those promises. Um, and, and if you think about it, you know, if, if God is going to be able to do what he's told us he can do, he has to keep those promises, right? He can't even, and he can't let even a small one go. You know, God is God. And so the God we believe in is all-powerful, right? He created the universe and everything that we see by speaking it into existence. And so if he has said he's going to bless the Israelites and he's chosen them as his people and they're his people on earth, then there isn't anything that's going to change that. So even though Balak thinks he can change it by having Balaam curse them, it's really not going to work out that way. Um, you know, if we think about it, we're, we're created in the image of God. And so in some ways we're like God, but in many ways we're not. And as people, um, we make promises and we make decisions and things and we try to keep those promises, but we're not always able to do that. So sometimes it's difficult for us on earth because we deal with people all the time and we deal with situations that go wrong and, and people that don't keep their word. Um, and so sometimes that causes people to mistrust God. And so we have to remember that even though we're created in the image of God, we are not like God. You know, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And he is God and he does have the ability to keep all of the promises that he has made. And so in thinking about that, how should knowing that God is unchanging encourage us to trust him more and live more faithfully? <laughs> you know, what comes to my mind is that knowing, knowing that God is omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful, that those promises that he's made, that I can trust in him. So even though we see situations like what's happening today in our country and around the world with the virus is... You know, it doesn't mean we can be carefree and not worry and, you know, do whatever we want, right? We still need to do all of the, the good things that we should, like, you know, washing our hands. And if we're going to cough or sneeze, you know, cover that cough or sneeze and, and do the normal basic provisions, right? But we don't need to be so afraid of this virus because no one knows when God's going to call them home or how that's going to happen. But what's the one thing as believers that we definitely know? What happens when you're absent from the body? Present with the Lord, just like that. And that should give us comfort, and that gives me comfort in knowing that I can still go about and do my daily routine, and even though there's a lot of stuff gone from the grocery store, I still have a lot of things at my house. Just because you don't have hand sanitizer doesn't mean you can't use soap to wash your hands, right? I mean, there's, God has provided for his people all along, and he still provides for us. And even if maybe you're out of some kind of essential, what do you think you could do? I mean, you could call someone in the church, right, and say, hey, you know, I'm short on this. Someone here is going to have something, and we're all going to be willing to share, right? And it's not that, you know, there won't ever be any more of those things in the grocery store. It's going to start showing up again. Things will start working again. But people that don't have that faith and understanding in God and that trust in him that, 
that he will provide, and there, there may be a difficult time ahead of us, and it might not be very easy, he's still there to provide, and he's still there to keep those promises. Right, and, that, and that's good advice. And that's, you know, what Cheryl is saying, is that we, if, if we are believers and we've accepted Christ as our Savior and we're asked to love one another and, and to put our trust in God and to know where we're going to end up, then, then we should be able to still function in this world, right? And, and if, if we've read the Bible and we understand, um, you know, we know that God promised us Christ will come back, right? When, when is Christ going to come back? At any moment, but, but what's he waiting for? There's something that's going to happen that he will come back. Fulfillment of the Gentile. There are, you know, people, there, I always think of it as there are still people out there that haven't heard the gospel or that haven't heard it enough times because it, it took me many, many times before I accepted it. But not everybody who's going to be saved has been saved yet. And so even though this virus is here, and all these things are going on, really when it's time for Christ to come back, he will come back. And so God's will will be done. And so our job is to, to continue on to, to serve God and to be Christ-like and to love one another until that time comes. And, and so we can still move through these difficult times. And, and what Cheryl brought up was a very good point. I mean, back in the, you know, they called it the dark ages because of the bubonic plague and everything, right? There were horrible diseases that went through and it, and it killed many, many people. But all through the Bible, you can look and see, God's always preserved a remnant, right? He's always preserved a remnant of his people. And, and he's always going to have people to live out and preach the gospel. Because otherwise, if people don't hear that word, they need to know, right? And so there's always going to be those people. And we don't know if that's going to be us or our neighbors or someone else. But, you know, we should be able to take these promises from God and to really lean on those and use those as comfort in, in this time. And, and God uses many things, including you know, sickness and, and hardship, to bring people together to help see the gospel. Carolyn's bringing up a good point. We, we do things every day that, if you don't do it in the proper way, are super dangerous. Driving cars, exactly. You know? um, some people here operate heavy equipment. You know? We have electricians here, right? I mean, if you don't, it's, it's very not, electricity's great, but if you don't treat it in a, in a proper way and have the proper respect for it, it will, it will injure or kill you, okay? And so this virus that's going around, it's essentially the same thing. If we take the proper precautions, you know, if we do the things that we need to do, more than likely we're going to be okay. And we actually live in a country where we have a good healthcare system. If you happen to get this virus, more than likely you're going to survive this, right? And so this fear and everything that's happening is really, it's, it's, it's not that it's not unfounded. There, there is that danger, but we just have to realize there, there are ways to cope with that and to be able to deal with it. And so we need to trust that God's given us those ways and we can work our ways through that. Something else that the, the lesson brought up was um, Balak is looking at the Israelites and he is afraid of the Israelites, Right? He doesn't want to fight them. Who should he really be afraid of? God. Because it's not, I mean, the Israelites, through God's providence and provision, are defeating these other people, but it's not really the Israelites. It's God. And so many times, people see things happening, and they attribute it to those things instead of attributing it to God and understanding that this is God working in these ways, 
And so we need to keep that in mind. It's interesting too that Moab is. Yep, and so Randall's bringing up the point that, that the Moabites, all these tribes, at one time were related to Israelites. So it's not like they don't know about God and they haven't heard about God. They've chosen to go their own way and do their own thing. And now they're suffering the consequences of that. The next point we're going to talk about is point number two. It's God blesses his people by keeping his covenant promises. And so um, if nothing else, Balak is persistent. And so even though for that second oracle, Balaam still blesses the Israelites, Balak's like, okay, all right, we're going to do this again. So he takes them to a different place. They go over by Peor, and Balak wants Balaam to curse the Israelites again. He's still not convinced that Balaam's not going to bless them, but curse them. And so we're going to read um, this third oracle of Balaam. This is Numbers chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be by many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries, and he will crush their bones in pieces, and shatter them with his arrows. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. And so here, Balaam again has blessed the people. And this oracle talks about God's protection and provision for the Israelites and the fulfillment for their promises. And so an interesting thing to think about is... um, Balak has seen these people, right? He's seen the Israelites. They're out there on the plain of Moab, and so he knows they're there. Do the Israelites know all this that Balak's doing? No. They have no idea that he's trying to get Balaam, that he's gone to all this trouble, that he's been trying to convince Balaam to curse them. They have no idea, right? And so we think about that. You know, we, we always see the things that are happening that are bad, but if you, you know, think about all the many ways that God gives us protection, and we don't even see it. Right, and and sometimes it happens where, um, you know, you hear stories of people that were supposed to get um, get on an airplane and that airplane crashes. And they didn't get on the airplane because they had a flat tire on the way to the high on the way to the airport. God intervenes in many ways, and I know there have been times in my life where I thought I was going to do something and make this decision, but something happened along the way and I made a different decision. And then, you know, sometime later, you can look back and see wow, had I done what I originally wanted to do, things would have worked out in a very different way, and it wouldn't have been in a good way. And so God has that that protection and that blessing for us that happens all the time whether we see it or not. And there are many things that God protects us from as, as, as individuals and as our church and as our nation that he shielded us from that we have no idea because we only see the things that actually happen. And it's that, you know, it's, it's what he's talking about, you know, when you look at verse 5 about how fair your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. He's really blessed the, the people. Um, and, and that should help us to live confident lives and to be, um, to be faithful and confident in God and knowing that he's going to keep his promises and that he's promised to bless us and that he will, he will follow through with those blessings. 
So how, how do you think God's faithfulness to protect and provide for his people should address our temptation to worry about the needs of tomorrow? Should it, should it help us not worry? Does anybody here never worry? No, we all, we all worry, right? We all are concerned about things. Um, and that's just, I think part of that is human nature, right? Because nobody here has lived a perfect life where everything has gone exactly like they want, right? And so because things don't always go exactly like we want, we want them to go that way. And so we plan and we prepare, but we still know that things may not always go right. But we're not supposed to worry about those things. So if, if God, you know, God is omnipotent and he's omniscient, so he's all-powerful and he knows everything, he has our life planned for us, right? He has a plan for us. We need to try to follow that plan. And if we follow that as best as we can and we're in his will, you know, will things always be good for us, you know, what, what we call good? Right? And then we have to look at definition for what God calls good and what we call good. We call good, everything works, right? My car always starts. I never get flat tires. It doesn't, it doesn't rain right before I'm going to go out and do field work. Um, I never get any angry calls from members. Um, all those kind of things, well, that's not how life works, right? And, and, the, and the basis for all that, if we go all the way back to Genesis in chapter 3, is because... Adam and Eve were disobedient, and sin came into the world, and all these things that happen now are the result of that. So you get into things, you know, we start talking about good and bad and those kind of things. Many things you can't classify as good or bad. It just is what it is. And we live in a Genesis 3 world with sin, and we have to learn to deal with that. And one of those things is that things won't always work out the way that we want. So we need to have trust in the Lord and to not worry about it. And I know we're still going to worry because that's just how we are, but when we catch ourselves worrying, what's one thing that we can do when you're really worried about something? What, what should we do with that? Pray. Because God tells us we should cast all our, all our cares upon him, right? Take that to the Lord, hand that over to God, and, and let him help you work through that. And that doesn't mean that we just do what some people say, you know, let, let go and let God. Well, we still have some things we're supposed to do. We're su still supposed to be responsible people. We should still make good choices. We should follow through with what God wants us to do, but we also need to have trust in him that, that things will work out in a good way. True, and so Guyane's point is trusting who he is, which he is a good and loving God, and so he will do what's best for us, even though we don't always know what that is. That's a good way to put it, to, to really have our focus on God all the time, and then every now and then, look at the world and see what's happening, but to, to try to do that. And that's, that's that whole sanctification process. As you become a believer, and then you're saved, but you spend the rest of your life trying to be more Christ-like, learning what God wants you to do, practicing what God wants you to do. You know, hopefully the, the time, you know, they talk about the time between when you sin and when you repent and ask for forgiveness of your, of your sins. The more mature you are as a Christian, the shorter that time is, Right? And, and it's that whole sanctification process that we go through where we spend more and more time with God and looking at God and, and worshiping God and less time concentrating on the things of the world. So this, this third time, you know, Balak tries to bribe Balaam into, into cursing the people, but God's made that promise, right? So it doesn't matter what, what Balak or Balaam tries to do. God's going to bless the Israelites, and so there's really not anything that they're going to be able to... Um, 
to make happen to stop that. And this is where we get to the essential doctrine that God is faithful. And so God's faithfulness means that he keeps his word and always fulfills his promises. And it's demonstrated in his fulfillment of his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we can look back through the Old Testament. We can see those promises that God gave them and how he's fulfilled them, how he always maintained a remnant, how the different things that he's promised have always come true. And then, um, you know, we can look at that and we can, we can also see that, you know, God was faithful to us as believers in that his plan brought his son Jesus Christ to earth and Christ lived his sin-free life and was that sin-free sacrifice who willingly died on the cross for us. And so God is faithful and, and he's giving us that way to pay for our sins. Whatever day-to-day trouble you're in, God's going to give you a way to deal with that. And that doesn't always mean remove it, right? We talked last week about the serpents. God didn't destroy the serpents. He gave them a way to you know, remove the pain of the sting. Right? By staring at the bronze serpent up on the staff, they wouldn't die, and that, that painful sting and the bite would go away. And so God's not going to take sin away from us, and he's not going to take away those difficult situations, but he's going to give us a godly way that we can make our way through that. So the, the third point we have today is that God blesses his people by providing a conquering king. And so really, if we think about it was, it, was it really Balaam that refused to curse the Israelites? It was God that didn't, right? God gave Balaam the understanding through the donkey and the angel of the Lord that he was serious, that he wasn't going to allow, you know, that Balaam should not do that. So Balaam is being obedient to God. So just like King Balak looking at the Israelites, he's fearing the Israelites when really he should be fearing God. It's not Balaam who's not cursing. It's God fulfilling his promise of blessing and not cursing the people. Balaam delivers a fourth oracle, and that's um, some of the last verses we're going to look at. So this is Numbers 24, verses 17 through 19. So this is the fourth oracle. So Numbers 24, starting in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession, Seir its enemies also will be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion, and will destroy the remnant from the city. And so in this part of this oracle, because Balaam's been talking about the blessings that the Israelites are receiving then, but this is more of a forward-looking in the future what's going to happen. And so, um, you know, as we go forward in the Bible and we look at, at kind of what happens after Abraham dies and they get into the promised land and stuff, at some point um, after Samuel, the Israelites want a king, right? They want to be like everybody else, and so they want a king, so God ends up giving them kings, and, and all these kings that God gives the Israelites are, again, like many things in the Old Testament, a foreshadow of what's to come. But because these are, are human kings, they're never perfect. So the first king that God gave the people, who was the first king that God gave the people? Saul. Okay? And so Saul was an okay king, right? But he, he did a couple things that were wrong. Who, who could tell me, do you know what the, the faults that Saul did? He, um, 
he made an unlawful sacrifice. And you can find that in 1 Samuel 13. And then he didn't completely destroy the Amalekites like he was told to do by God, and that's in 1 Samuel 15. So Saul, even though he was made king, and he did pretty good for a while, his human nature took over, and he did some things the way he wanted to do them, or what he thought was good, right? Because if, if you remember back to the story of the Amalekites, why didn't he completely destroy the Amalekites? Remember, God had told them, I want you to, to destroy them, meaning all the women, children, livestock. He wanted everything. God had directed everything to be killed. Why did Saul not do that? Or do you remember what he saved? He saved the best things, right? He, he pretty much killed everybody, but not quite everybody. And, and, um, and he saved the choice livestock, and then they went to sacrifice. And it was, you know, and this is one of those things in our human mind, we think we're doing the right thing because it makes sense to us. But God specifically said, do this, and he didn't do that, even though he thought he was doing the right thing. And that was kind of the last straw with Saul. And then came King David, right? And, and King David was a man after God's own heart. And King David did many great things. But, but what was one great sin of King David? Adultery with Bathsheba. And what did he do to cover that up? Murder her husband. And so even though David was a great king and did many things, he still had faults as an earthly king. After David was King Solomon, and he was the wisest king that ever was. That was that... That one thing that God, you know, God asked him what he wanted, and Solomon said, well, I want wisdom. So God gave Solomon great wisdom. But what did that wisdom do for him? Nothing. It, it, he used it in, a, in, in a good ways, in many ways, but what ended up happening to Solomon? Did he just have one wife? He married a whole bunch of foreign wives, started adopting their religious practices and their idolatry, and that was the undoing of Solomon. He, he forgot. He didn't follow the, tenth, the first you know, commandment that God's the only God, right? He started worshiping all these other gods. And so that was the downfall of Solomon. And then if you read through the Old Testament um, and you go through in, in, in Kings and Chronicles, you start to see, starting with Rehoboam, there are many, many kings in the line after Solomon. And some of them were good, but they weren't good for very long. And then in there, there's this repeated refrain that they were either wicked or they were exceedingly wicked, and God gets rid of them. And they go all the way through, and this ends up leading the people in Israel, um, the Israelites, they end up losing Jerusalem, and they go into captivity in Babylon. And that's the end result of all these earthly kings. But this is still a picture of what God wants us to think about, right? And so... We know we need a king. We just don't need an earthly king. We need a perfect king, right? And who, who was the perfect king that God sent? Jesus Christ. He's our perfect king. He's our high priest and our perfect king who was able to come and do all the things that we need and to, to sacrifice for everyone once for all. And so, you know, in this little, this oracle that Balaam is talking about, he's, he's, foretelling that or saying this is going to happen in the future because he's talking about a star shall come forth from Jacob, right? A scepter shall rise from Israel. And it's that whole thing in the Old Testament where it's that continuing line that starts and goes all the way down through David. And you can go read in the, in the Gospels the, the genealogy that goes all the way to Christ. And it's all of that. And so there again, these are promises that God has made that are 
kept and, and come true. You know, and some of it in, in pretty interesting ways where God always preserves that line. But it always it comes through, and it's exactly what God said it would be, and it, and it came out exactly how God said it would come out. And so if you'll flip to um, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 25 and 26. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. And what, what Paul's talking about here in the letter to the Corinthians is, is Christ. And he comes and, you know, he, he abolished death by his work on the cross. His perfect sacrifice was what paid for everyone's sin. And in that, you know, death has no sting, right? And we're getting close to coming up to Easter here when we celebrate that. When we think about that work that Christ does on the cross for us and that he did. And how that works in our lives that we don't have to fear death. You know, and especially now, you know, you wonder why people are doing all the crazy things they're doing now. If you're not a believer and you're spiritually dead, where, where do you get all of your rewards? Right here, right now. It's literally, you know, people talk about, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Well, if, if this is all the reward you get, you should do everything to stay alive, to enjoy those rewards. Because your eternal life is going to be, you know, separated from God. And, and you know, we talk about death um, and really what death means is, is separation. You know, when we talk about, you know, eternal death, it's not that your spirit dies, it's that you are eternally separated from God. Um, you know, in some cultures, you know, and you, if, if you read and you think about it, when someone does something really bad, and it even talks about it in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were some sins that someone would commit that they were, they were kicked out, right? They were sent out and they couldn't come back. That, in a way, is a death, Right? If you ever heard someone say, oh, well, they're dead to me. Well, physically, their body's alive, but they have no relationship with them. They've cut them off. They don't talk to them. They don't see them. They don't want to have anything to do with them. And that's what eternal death is, is you are eternally separated from God. And so those people that, you know, right now have this fear and don't have that understanding, and all they know is what's going to happen to them, they don't understand that even though, you know, a, a, a person may think, that they won't be resurrected, that when they die, they die, and the worms eat them, and they're gone. You can think that, but that's not God's truth. And the Bible tells us God's truth. Everyone's resurrected. Everyone. It's just, where do you go once you're resurrected? What kind of judgment is there? You know, if, you're, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, there is no judgment. Your sin is paid for. If it's not, you pay for your sin with eternal separation from God. And so, you know, as, as we think about what we can do, you know, for application-wise as Christians, it's to help people, especially in these times, because um, Cheryl brought it up. There's this great opportunity now where there's this thing that's come up where you may get a chance to talk to people about what's happening and why they're afraid. And you may be able to ask them, well, well you know, well, I know you're afraid of dying, but what happens to you when you die? What do you think happens? And then you can hear what that person says you know, and they may be a Christian and a believer, and then you can pray together, and that's a great thing, and you can encourage and build each other up. But it may be someone who's not saved who may say, I don't know, you know, I heard about God, but this and that. And, you know, or they may have a very um, unbiblical understanding of what being saved means, right? There are lots of churches out there that preach lots of different ways to get saved, and we know that there's only one way, and that's through belief in Christ. So there are these opportunities that are out there you know, and God's given us these blessings. And so we think about it, you know, we know that, that we've received God's, 
we have received God's blessing as believers through eternal life through Jesus Christ. That we know, no matter how many trials we go through here on earth, that where we will end up is much better because we're going to be in the presence of, of God the Creator and Jesus Christ His Son, and we'll be there with Him. You know, and if you read in, in Revelation when we talk about the new earth and everything, it's always amazing to me that there's no sun because God is light and there's so much light. You don't need anything else. And when they talk about no shadow, is there anywhere on earth where there's never, where there's not a shadow? You could artificially create it by putting a whole bunch of lights around. But even then, if you really look, there's always shadow here, right? In heaven, there's not. That's how much light God is. There is no shadow. There's no darkness. There's none of that. And so that's an amazing promise and something. And that's, that's encouraging to me. Um, when I think about that, is I want to be where there is. It's that light, and it's, and it's that great. And you don't have to worry about what's coming up and, and, and those kind of things. So those are, you know, when, when we think about these things and, and the blessings that we have through God, in, in our knowledge and understanding that he's faithful and he will be true and he will keep his promises and we will receive those blessings, that we should be able to share those with other people. Well, thanks for coming. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer.